at the risk of being uh, obvious, there, there's some awkwardness for all of us to get used to, right? There's some newness and changes, and, and just let's, you know, helping the room, right? It's there. And so let's lean in that, into that together. Uh, to be just full disclosure, it's been three months since I've preached a sermon with actual humans in the room, so this is a lot of eye contact for me. I feel a little weird, <laughs> all right? Uh, but uh, I also want to say it's, it's good to see you guys. It really is. Uh, we have come, just so we don't forget why we're here, we've come into the presence of God to hear from God. Amen. Amen. Okay? We've come here to hear from God. Because we need to hear from God. We need to hear from God. So uh, open your copy of God's Word to Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4, verse 32 through 37. Acts chapter 4, verse 32 through 37. Luke gives us another peek behind the curtain uh, of what church life was like. So please give your attention to the reading of God's Word. Is this on? Oh, okay. Now the full number of those who believed were one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own. They had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And a great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, or as many as were owners of lands or houses, sold them and bought the proceeds of what was sold, and they laid it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to each as any had need. Thus, Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought, brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Gracious, generous Father, we love you. We've come here into your presence uh, to worship your name. It's a great name. Uh, Lord, we need to hear from you. We pray that God, through your word, you'd speak to us, that you would change what we desire, you would change our lives, and help us see Jesus in this text. We love you. It's in his great and holy name we pray. Amen. Amen. In an effort to uh, practice what I'm going to be talking about today, I'm going to, I'm going to share a personal story with you. Uh, from the day that I was born, until uh, so I was well into my late 20s, I was incredibly thin. I know what you're thinking, you're thin. <laughs> but I'm not talking about that. I mean like skeletal thin. Okay? Like it scared my parents for years thin. This is new for me when I look in the mirror. Okay? Uh, we tried everything. Uh, I would eat food all the time, and I could not produce muscle. I couldn't gain uh, muscle, and also I felt exhausted constantly from burning calories. So I just couldn't go and do stuff with people. I was tired. Uh, we tried everything to help my body produce muscle for years and years and years. Creatine powder, protein shakes, uh, rigorous uh, exercise programs. We just see doctors did blood work. I mean, the whole smash. Okay? I did everything for years. 
And I remember at one point during all of this formative years of my life, <laughs> I remember being in middle school and I decided to put two posters up on my wall. Uh, one picture was of Arnold Schwarzenegger flexing his biceps. <laughs> it wasn't that one, he was in like his, you know, swimsuit. <laughs> the other was a picture of uh, Michael Jordan soaring through the air on his way to the rim. And he was above the rim, he's about to crash the board. And uh, it was the 80s, okay? Like that's what we had to work with then, right? That was our inspiration. Arnold represented strength and, and health at the time, okay? Uh, Jordan represented greatness and determination. And I put those posters up on my wall as a, uh, as a fifth grader and a sixth grader and seventh grader because I thought that I, not, not because I thought I could actually become them. I didn't think I could actually emulate them. Uh, but I put those pictures up because it gave me something to aspire to. I thought, uh, what that means is that it gave me direction to aim my hopes and aim my efforts. That's what aspiration is. It's, aim, it's something to aim your hopes and aim your efforts at. It's like a target. And so I, I, thought, uh, I thought that if I could just become a third of that strong or determined, it would be a significant improvement over what I was currently experiencing. It would be a win, even if I didn't become like that. You see what I'm saying? So I'm going in the right direction. I needed picture on my wall to help direct my hopes and help direct my ambitions and say at least I'm going in the right direction. Does that make sense? Well, Luke knows that the church needs the same thing. Luke, in fact, knows more specifically that Crossway needs the same thing. We need the same thing. We need a poster of healthy church life so that we can tell if we're going in the right direction or not. Now, to be fair, a picture does not tell us Every detail about a person that we want to know. But on the other hand, that's not really the purpose of a picture, is it? It just tells us some things. It gives us a snapshot. And so the visual that it gives us is supposed to help us aspire to become the kind of faith community that brings glory to God. The God that we say that we worship. And so there's two features of a church that's worth us aspiring to in this text that I want to talk about. Hearts united to, to fellow believers and hands open to those that are in need. So we're going to talk about each of those in turn today. Okay, First, our hearts should be open to fellow believers. Our, our hearts should be united to, to fellow believers. Look at the text here in verse 32. It says, now the, the full number of those who believe, so they kept track of who was in the church, right? The full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. One heart and soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own. But they had everything in common. They shared. Just like our second grade teacher talks, right? Our mom talks. They shared. They shared everything. Luke highlights the character of this community. The believers were of one heart and soul. I mean, they're feeling and thinking. For a group that's rapidly grown in numbers, like they're in the thousands now, right? So for a group that's grown this much, this quickly, this is an amazing characteristic to have of this group. Uh, some would argue that this in and of itself is a sign, miracle, and wonder. It speaks to the fact that the, that the, the Christians were committed to the same mission. 
They were committed to the same purpose. Why are you here? Same reason you're here. Not fuzzy about that. I'm here for what you're here for. The reason that they wanted to have the material things in common, their physical things in common, was because they had all shared an experience in common. So the sharing of the material things was a natural outworking of this experience that they had all had in common. Namely, that they had received grace from Jesus, and they had received a mission from Jesus. That's the experience that they all shared in common. They all wanted the same thing at the end of the day, instead of everyone trying to accomplish their own thing. Everyone's not trying to accomplish their own little mission, but they're all coming together for one mission, for one purpose. And not only that, they want to do it together with other believers. They want to do it together. They actually want to do it together. In the Bible, the heart is not merely a person's emotions okay, or feeling. I mean, yeah, that's part of it. But biblically speaking, when the Bible talks about the heart, the heart is the core of a person, it, which commands their life. It's command-central, okay? We live out of what our heart desires the most. Philosopher uh, James K. A. Smith says, you are what you love. And he's quoting August, son of Augustine. These believers are not only united in their ultimate goal as a community, but their hearts are knit together. They have opened their hearts to one another so that they can be known by each other. In other words, they've committed themselves to the flourishing of other believers in Jesus Christ without, get this, without expecting anything in return. Did you notice that in the text? Without expecting anything in return. These are not casual, consumeristic church relationships. They are devoted, the Bible says. They are devoted to being united with each other relationally. Why? Because in their hearts, they really care for one another. They don't just say they care for one another. They show that they care for one another. Acts is, all, is show and tell. Have you guys figured that out yet? It's show and tell. This kind of community is what we are to aspire to as a church, right? And just to clarify something, unity does not mean uniformity. That's not the same thing. Unity does not mean that we all look the same. It doesn't mean that we all talk the same. Doesn't mean that we all think the same about everything. Either. It just means that we're committed to the same goal. How can we get there, even though we're different? Even though we're different, how can we get there? That's unity. Does that make sense? Just want to clarify that. And unity, by the way, also does not mean a lack of conflict within the church community. Uh, we're going to find out real soon, like next week, <laughs> and throughout, we're going to find out that there's conflict in this seemingly perfect church. Even this community had conflict. And conflict actually can be a sign of, of a healthy church if it's dealt with the right way. Because you have all these different people slammed in together. There are thousands of them all together, right? But unity means that at the end of the day, we all really want the same thing. 
We're going after the same thing, to bring glory to our God and to care for our brothers and sisters. We're not expecting someone else to care for our brothers and sisters. We're going to care for our brothers and sisters, right? We want to be peacemakers instead of dividers. And by the way, Jesus said, be a peacemaker, not a peacekeeper. So there is a work to be done in making peace. This also means that we must go beneath the surface with one another. You know, guys, it's really easy to keep conversations at the concept level in a church. Have you noticed that? And avoid what's really happening in our own heart. Hi, how are you? Fine. Good, how are you? Good, how's the kids? Fine, fine. And, and, and we've got to get past fine. We've got to find a way to get past fine if we're going to be united in the heart. There is a place, just to be sure, there's a place for small talk. And there's a place for talking about news and talking about sports and talking about our job and the boss that we don't like, right? And there is a place also for talking conceptually about God and Christianity, having Bible studies, talking about categories of things, okay? But at some point, we have to get deeper if we're going to be a church whose, whose hearts are united. That means one. How are those concepts personally affecting your love for God and His glory? Can we talk about that? I'd like to know that. Uh, how, how is the news personally shaping your desires and what you want? How is it personally affecting your affections and emotions as a Christ follower? Can we talk about that? Uh, what bearing does the mission of Jesus Christ play in your life right now? How is that bearing on your life right now? Let's, let's talk about that. That's what I mean by heart level. Okay? Brothers and sisters, we, we, we're all going through a lot right now. Amen? And we're going to be going through a lot, some trials. Uh, people are experiencing trials, of, like James says, of various species. We're experiencing, here in the room, but our neighborhood, we're experiencing trials on all kinds of levels. On a global level, on a national level, on a state level, on like just a local church. And how, what's Crossway doing and how are we doing things? And then, <laughs> on an individual level... People are experiencing their own personal trials of health and marriage and all. But if that wasn't enough, right? Like, I just laid out five different levels of trials that pretty much everyone's going through right now. And just one of those would be enough to make you emotionally exhausted, right? So I'm just like, I'm just going to name that. That's there. That's real. I mean, I might be wrong, but I perceive that many of us are talking with our emotions instead of about our emotions. Are you trying to me? I think that many of us are not even aware that you know, we're depressed. That's what's going on. So we're mentally depressed. Uh, we're anxious. Under the surface, we're angry. Or maybe, just maybe, under all that, we're sad. We're grieving. And so what happens is when we actually do talk with one another, when we do try to have a conversation or engage, we're, we're, we're uh, emoting what's in our heart. Instead of stepping back and examining the condition of our heart and being honest about that with one another, which, which is kind of a healthier approach right now. It's just going on in my heart. 
What's the condition of your heart right now? What are you afraid of losing, which you just don't want to say out loud? Uh, what what uh, what are you grieving? But you don't even know why. What is exhausting you? And you don't even have the words to describe it, and you wish you had language. Because this is so new. What is that? What's the condition of your heart? If the Lord wants us to be united in heart and mind, and he does, we have to pivot conversations at some point to the heart level because we all live out of our heart. And I know that's going to make some of us really uncomfortable. But if we're going to aspire to that, then we, we need to do that. We need to make that pivot in our conversations. We have to pivot to, look, hey, what's, just what's going on in your heart? I'd like to know that. So that we can pray together. And that we can we can be changed together. And we can follow Jesus together. But not only should our, our, our hearts be united, but our hands should be open to those that are in need. Our hands should be open to those that are in need. Let's go to the text, verse 34 and 35. It says, there was not a needy person among them. That ought to, like, don't gloss over that. That ought to amaze you, right? Not a needy person among them in the church, but for as many as were owners of lands, that's plural, or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet. We're going we're gonna to come back to that phrase. Laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. So you see, there's like a mechanism set up. People come, they sell their property or their house or whatever it is. They give the proceeds to the, the, the uh, apostles, and then they, then they distribute it. So they don't give to they give to the church through the church. Luke emphasizes that the Christians here were unbelievably generous to one another, miraculously, supernaturally. Generous to one another. Uh, the phrase, not a needy person among them, that, that's actually a callback to the Old Testament, if you're reading carefully. It's actually a reference to the standard that God set for his covenant people in Deuteronomy 15.4. Did you know that? The church is actually fulfilling the law of God here. How's that grab you? The church is actually fulfilling the law of God here. And they are showing the unbelieving world that they are a different kind of community. And that gets lost on us because Christianity has spread and it's affected so many other countries and cultures. But like, there's, there weren't cultures like we take care of our own. They're like, we don't take care of our own kids and our own family. This was different. Most other cultures at this time did not do this. They didn't even come close to it. The, the only culture that actually came remotely close to this uh, was the Greek culture. Because otherwise it was just survival of the fittest. The Greek culture did, but there was these principles of benefactor and reciprocity that was really heavily in Greco-Roman culture. So it was like this. I'll be your benefactor, right? 
I will help you with your material need, needy person. But then you are going to do something for me. You are going to go around town and brag about me socially so that I go up in society. I look good in front of my people and my boss and the people I want to influence. You're going to help me. You're going to tweet about me and Facebook post about me. So, so you get what you need and I get what I need. That's reciprocity, right? And if you don't return that favor, this friendship is off. And that was like agreed upon. That was, that was like, everyone was fine with that. Like that's how life works. That's how you grease the wheels of society. And the church is so different than that. Because that, that, that is not covenantal relationships, is it? It's not even close to that. That is a consumeristic relationship. That's what we live in. That's normal, right? This is not normal. I don't want to be normal. I want to be an anomaly. And the church is supposed to be an anomaly. These Christians, look at this, the, the Christians are engaging in covenantal relationships. They're acting like Israel. They're fulfilling the law. Right? Jew and Gentile, restored. They're doing it. They are giving generously. This is not, not over like just a little excess that they have, but to the point that they're selling their own property and their, and their belongings to meet the needs of other believers as they rise up. So it's not like they, like, they, they just become a Christian and everyone like liquidated or something. That's not what happens. Like as the need comes up, they're saying, I'll meet that need. I see the need, I'll meet the need. And get this, get this. They don't expect anything in return. That was a key feature for the Christians. The phrase, the phrase that, that Luke writes here, they laid it at the apostles' feet. That meant that they surrendered their rights. They laid it at the apostles' feet. That's a valley. That's a getting low, right? That's a humbling. Why? The apostles are doing everything in the name of Jesus. Luke keeps repeating that. In the name of Jesus. They're not supposed to do anything in the name Right? And that's what they're doing. So they're representing Christ. So what are they doing? They're, they're, they're surrendering their rights and the proceeds to the leaders. They're basically saying, listen, listen, you do whatever God thinks is best with this. I release it. I'm not even thinking about it anymore. Right? They're not like, I'll give that and I hope it's earmarked for chairs. <laughs> they're relinquishing control over that. Because why? They're doing it as if unto the Lord. That's what laying at the apostles' feet means. As if they're giving it to Jesus. So, so get this. They're not just serving and sharing with other believers at cost to themselves, which they're doing. <laughs> they are relinquishing their own grip over the proceeds. And so what we see is this. We see Christians giving in a manner, in a way that shows that they don't care if they get any honor. They don't care if they get any recognition. Just put it in the pot. I don't want my name on it. I talked with a pastor of a church uh, years ago, and one of their values of the church is, is uh, I'll get it wrong, but one of their values of the church was um, our name nowhere, our fingerprints everywhere. Acts. 
Christians are doing in a way that they don't care if they get any honor or any acknowledgement or kudos. And also, they're, they're giving in a way that shows they're not afraid of lacking material things themselves. Right? They believe God's going to take care of them, so I can take care of you. God's got me, and I got you. And that's how the church was. Right? They, they are open-handed to brothers and sisters in need and giving us a model for generosity. Gave us a model of generosity. I'm struck by the fact that they just gave fearlessly. Uh, Crossway is great at being physical needs. Whether it's making masks, whether it was making meals for the sick, calling people during the pandemic. I think one of the great things that's happened from this pandemic is that 113 plan that we did. Because that's something the whole church should be doing, calling each other and praying for each other. That's not just my job or any of the elders' jobs. We all share that love. And you guys did that. You guys have given generously uh, over the last three months. You really have. I mean, even our financial giving has increased. And we haven't even been meeting together. That's, that's miraculous to me. Everyone else is going down. We're going up. What is God doing? God's moving in your guys' hearts to be generous. And that has helped us meet uh, individuals' needs. It's helped us meet the needs of several mission organizations as well as the school that we met in, as well as this church that we're meeting in now. We have to help meet people's needs because of that. Way to go, guys. This is the value that I want our church to continue to live up into. I want us to be known for that. Get a reputation for that. Uh, part of our arrangement with First Christian Church is that we've promised that our people will pick up the trash and the messes after service just want to let you know that. <laughs> All right? Yes, we promised this on your behalf. You know why? Because we knew you'd be willing to do that. That's a small price to pay to help take care of brothers and sisters, I think, right? <clears throat> we want to lighten their load. We want to lighten the load by leaving this place better than we found it every week. Uh, so we're asking all of you to just help pitch in. Pick up bulletins, pick up trash, messes. Uh, we, we also said we're going to vacuum after the service every week. And so we got a sign-up sheet. Where's that sign-up sheet? Out, out there? We're going to have a sign-up sheet, and we want to just fill that sheet up with names to take a few vacuums and sweep this place up when we're done every week, okay? You probably won't get any honor for it, okay? You probably won't get any recognition. No one will ever know you did it. But God. We'll see. You'll glorify God through our church. Um, there's another way that this open-handedness works itself out in our church, I think. And this is one I think that we need to work on a little bit. Okay? And that's meeting spiritual needs. Meeting spiritual needs. Uh, we are Christians because we all recognize that we need Jesus. Right? We need Jesus. Big time. We need the gospel to work its way into the very practical parts of our thinking and our desires. And, and we may have our material needs met, but we all come with spiritual needs. It may look all right on the outside, but I'm telling you, don't be fooled. Every one of us in this room has come with some spiritual needs. 
Luke records that there was no needy person among them. And do you want to know the reason why? You want to know why there's no needy people among them? It was because people admitted that they were needy people. They knew who the needy people were. Right? Does this make sense? So they let it be known to their brothers and their sisters, to the people that were near them. I'm in need. I'm not okay. I am not okay. Can you help me? I want to tie that point back to my first point. They opened their hearts to one another. You see how these things go together? They're like, you know what? Hey, look, I, I call myself a Christian. I wear that name. That name that's above all names. That holy name. Christ. And I am not pursuing him in the word. And I have difficulty pursuing him through prayer. I'm just tired. Can you help me? Could you help? I have a need, a spiritual need. My children are showing signs of anxiety and depression during due to the pandemic. I'm going to be home on a screen all the time. I don't know what to do. Can you I think I'm addicted to technology. Because I have to be on it so much. I can't quit. I can't put it down. I've got to touch it. And I don't want to talk to people unless it's through a device. Can you help me? Can we talk through that? It's affecting my heart. I'm having trouble processing some emotions. I don't know what, I don't know what that is. Can you help me? Could you help me? Because you're near me. See, listen, guys, listen. You don't have to tell everyone, okay? But you need to tell someone. Don't judge a person for how big and strong they look on the outside. Everyone's got stuff going on on the inside. Everyone's got lights going off on the dashboard, on their soul. You understand what I'm saying? You don't have to tell everyone in the church, but you need to tell somebody. Just start there. That's easy. That's like Gerber baby easy, right? One step. Here's three things that every Christian can give those that have spiritual needs. See, here's the thing about what's going on in church. Everybody was generous. Some gave much, some gave little, but everybody gave generously, right? Meaning, they gave of themselves. They just gave of themselves to the need. There's three things that every Christian, every Christian, if you be born again, if you be regenerated by the Holy Spirit and filled with the Spirit of Christ, here's something you can give to those that are in need right now. You're qualified to do that. We can be quick to listen. We can be, we can pray for help, and we can administer some and. We can be quick to listen. That means means when we're talking with someone, whether it's on the phone or in person, but don't try to don't try to correct them. They may say some things that are wrong. They may even be theologically wrong. But you're not trying to correct that right away. You're not trying to fix that right off the bat. You're just listening. You're listening to them. Listen for words that stand out to you and then repeat them back to the person. Because it tells them you were listening to me. Those are my words. Yeah, you heard my words. Right? So I might sound like this, hey, you know, we're talk while you're talking, I, I heard you say angry, like, a few times. Are, are you feeling angry? Yeah, yeah, I guess I, guess I am. Can we, can we talk about that a little bit? Okay. 
I heard you use the word like you feel trapped. But those are your words, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, what does that mean? Can you tell me what you mean by that? I think I know what you mean, but what do you mean? We're quick to listen. You can give that to someone and administer to their spiritual needs. Second, we can pray for help. Pray for help means that we ask God for resources on their behalf. We literally invite God in on the conversation that we're happy. As God isn't like, he's out there and we'll take care of this and then they'll come, come into this conversation that we're having, Father, with all your might and all your power and all your peace and all your love and all your joy. Bring it for them. Bring your resources to bear on that person. You know what it is for you? You don't got to fix them. But you're going to bat for them. You're swinging for them. You understand what I'm saying? Ask them to act on that person's heart. God may need them to go without materially so that they can go to Him spiritually. You understand what I'm saying? He's doing a work in their heart. Thirdly, we administer some in. Now, what does that mean? Administering some in. Well, that means that we gently broaden the focus of the conversation. Not right away, but we gently, is that what we're we gently broaden the focus of the conversation to acknowledge several facts at once, several perspectives in this conversation, right? But cancels a comment, but cancels out a perspective. Okay? And includes another perspective. Are you tracking with me? So, so, so you're talking with your brother and sister in Christ, and maybe they're anxious. They're anxious about losing their health. Like, they're generally having a day, like, I'm anxious about losing my health. Or my mom, and her losing her health, right? So, something like that. So instead of saying, yes, but God's in control, you know, you could say this, yes. Yes. It's true, you could lose your health. That's true. And do you know what else is true? God loves you. God's in control of your life, you know? See what I did? And it canceled that perspective. That was actually a true perspective. I just, I just anded it. I put some and on that. We administer some and. Meeting spiritual needs, guys, is just as costly. And it's just as generous as selling some property and selling some stock or selling a car and giving the proceeds to people that are needed. It's just as costly. And for some of you, that's more costly. But that's what God's calling you to do. So we pay the cost for one another, right? Now, the question is why? Why was the early church able to be this united in heart and this open-handed? Because... They were changed by the power of the gospel. We can only, we cannot do this on willpower. We cannot do this by just trying hard. Even having a map of like some application of good, that's not enough. We must be changed by the gospel ourselves. We must be changed by the gospel. Look at verses 33 and 34. It says, And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of Jesus. That's the gospel. They were giving testimony to the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and great grace was upon them all. Not just the apostles, upon them all. Right? 34, there was not a needy person among them. Those things are connected. Luke makes a direct connection between the apostles preaching the gospel, people being filled with great grace, 
and the miracle that there was no needy person among them. Uh, in the Greek, there's a little word that's at the beginning of verse 34. It doesn't get translated into English in some translations. The word is for. That word's there in the original language. If, right at the beginning of 34. For, there was no needy person among them. Which means 34 is explaining what happened in 33. 34 happened because 33 happened first, right? Because the people were hearing the gospel message of Jesus daily, remember they're devoting themselves to this, the apostles' teachings, right, and prayer. Because they were hearing the gospel over and over and over what Jesus had done for them, they wanted to provide generously for one another. They wanted to provide fearlessly, even recklessly, for one another at cost to themselves. That was why. That was the motivation, the impetus for that. There is heart-changing, desire-altering power in the regular preaching and hearing of the gospel to change people's hearts and change what they want. And I want you to see that here. They do because of what Christ has done for them. And then we see there's this real-life individual named Barnabas who actually does what Luke describes the church doing. He's, he's held out as an example. And it, it really happened. His name was Barnabas. You can go check it out. That's what Luke is saying. He sells one of his fields and he relinquishes control of the money to the apostles to distribute to those that are in need. He gives it generously as if to, he's giving it to Jesus. He's glad to do it. Here, you take it. I'm done with it. You take it and do what you need to do with it. Guys, listen, here's what this means. Christians need to hear the gospel, not just non-Christians. The gospel saves, but it sanctifies and brings us to glory eventually. We need to hear the gospel over and over and over. Barnabas is a real live example of what we should do, but Barnabas points us to the ultimate gospel example, which is Jesus. Because he's been hearing about Jesus, and he wants to be like Jesus. Right? Barnabas, what did he do? He sacrificed his own field. He sacrificed his own field and relinquished control of the proceeds. Why? So that the needy could share in his wealth. You're without, I have some, what's mine is yours. He sold his own field, he relinquished the control over it so that the needy could share in his wealth. King Jesus didn't sacrifice his own field, did he? King Jesus sacrificed his own life. He relinquished and distributed the proceeds of his atoning blood so that you and I, who are spiritually destitute and spiritually needy, could share in his riches, the riches of heaven forever. He did that for you and I, brothers and sisters. You know what? When you believe that, when you like what really believe that, you believe that Christ has given you the greatest honor that you could ever give. He has put the greatest name on you that you could ever get, greatest title, Christian, son, daughter. When you believe he's already given you the greatest honor, you don't need other people to give you honor and recognition. How, how much greater? How can it get greater? How can it get higher? 
right? You have the highest thing, right? And you gave that to me? You shared that with me? Who are you? King of glory? See, when you know that, when you believe that, you will give. You will share. He's giving the greatest honor. And not only that, he's giving the greatest riches. He's giving the greatest wealth. He gave everything that belonged to him and gave it to you. The riches of heaven. And he not only did he do that, he didn't do it because he had spare. He did it at great cost to himself. There was only one way he could give that to you and me, right? To die on a cross. Die a shameful death. When you believe that, when you believe that, it will change what your heart wants. It will change what you desire. We, we will want to give our resources, not just material resources, but these spiritual resources I'm talking about, being quick to listen, being quick to pray for people, right? And bringing it into perspective. We'll want to give our resources to others in need, whether they thank us or not, whether they acknowledge us or not. God's acknowledged us, praise God. He loves us. When we know that Jesus has promised to provide for our needs, he has promised, I will give you what you need. Don't run after what you, don't say, what shall we eat? Don't say, what shall we drink? Don't say, what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things, and your father knows that you need them. I'm going to give that to you. It's like, that's a given. That stuff is a given. Now seek the kingdom of heaven, right? When you know that, when he's made that promise to you specifically, and he's going to keep good on that promise, you're freed up. You're freed up to live with united hearts and open hands with one another. Amen? Here's the gospel as the power of salvation, right? Let's pray, brothers and sisters. Let's pray. Well, Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you you've given us the greatest gift, the gift of gifts. Your one and only unique Son, Jesus. And we thank you for how you've been working in our midst. Jesus, you say, my father is always at work. You have been at work for three months. And I cannot wait to see the harvest that you're going you're gonna to bring to the surface. But continue to do your work in us right now, Father God. Make us people that will open up our hearts and get below the surface and that will be open.